right. Well, Shabbat Shalom, everybody. And Shabbat Shalom. Good job, this. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's great to be back with everybody this week for this week's study. And um, glad that all of you guys are here, that we have uh, Kathleen and Gary and everybody who's watching online want to uh, say hello to you. We see that Jeffrey's watching us over here and he's telling us hello. Jeffrey's a really good guy. Um, and uh, I'm sure that we'll have others trickle in uh, over time as well. But one of the things I want to do first before it is, uh, after we go into the prayer and all that stuff, uh, before it is that we get started on what is on the agenda, I want you guys to be thinking about when I ask this question, um, some things that it is that you guys uh, need some explaining on in terms of the Torah portion uh, those who are watching online and those who are actually here in the study, uh, be thinking on that. And these could be some of the things that we can uh, start out in terms of our discussion and all of that stuff for the Parshas Vayera. Uh, last week, we didn't have a Parshas Lech Lecha, and it was one heck of a week for me. I ended up having to work seven days straight, and it would, it about killed me. <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, man. I got to go into work tomorrow morning at like five in the morning, but you know. Oh man. Well, oh, you, I'm you sorry. I work in a retirement home. I take care of our elderly stuff. There you go. It's a mitzvah in many ways. So even on Shabbat, our mitzvahs have taken care of our young and our elderly have to be done. So. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So it's still Absolutely. ain't back. That even I mean, usually five days a week, I'm grinding like crazy. I'm like, oh, then on Shabbat, I try to prepare it so it's like. This ain't half bad. I pretty much just got to make breakfast cereal. My lunch portions are all set up. Just cop, pop them in the oven and go, you know. I just got to stay there until my time ends. That's about it. So, No, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, let us uh, go ahead and start. Amen. Yep. Let us go ahead and start and get into prayer. Oh, it's all good, buddy. <coughs> Excuse me. Blessed are you, Hashem, our God, Master of the Universe, who has sanctified us in the words of your Torah, Father. I ask, Father, that you uh, be with each and every single one of us as we go through your parshas for this week, Father. I ask the, that you give each and every single one of us a little bit of da'as, a little bit of chokmah, and uh, help us to in, to increase in our betokan, in, in you, Father, and within that of our Emunah. We ask these things and we pray these things in Yeshua's holy name. Amen. Okay. Amen. Um, Joni uh, has, or John has a question here. Yeshua, just this, instead of Tetra, explain, I don't, I don't know what he, what he means there, but, uh, but, uh, so is, was there anything that you guys, ended up going through in the Torah portion this week that uh, you had questions about or anything of the sort? I think my focus this week has been more, I'm doing the Haftor portions a lot. So I enjoy the study here time. where we learn the main Torah portion while I'm doing my study more on the Haftor. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Now, uh, now uh, refresh my memory. I remember you saying you were doing that, but are you doing that through the First Fruits of Zion's uh, uh, things that they have on the on the half Torah? Is that on their Torah club for that? I have the Torah club, but I do not have um, the half Torah one at this point in time. Um, what I'm doing is I have a lot of different commentaries on my own. And okay. I pull up through like the Sifria website and everything, and I try to find different things. And we have a small Havara that gets together on Shabbat. And uh, that was what we had decided to study. And they picked me to use my library to figure out. And, and it's interesting. We bounce things off of each other and everything. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. What, what about yourself there, Gary? Um. <clears throat> Mostly, I've, I haven't had much to go through, but mostly it was um, a lot about the hospitality and the culture of hospitality around the Middle Eastern times where if you walked if you walked into a place and you were received, you were treated like royalty. You know, it was like the, over the culture of hospitality was overwhelming stuff. Absolutely. And, the, and, 
and um <clears throat> it's um and <clears throat> I worried it and it was about like what people asked and asked me is um when <clears throat> when Lot was confronted by the crowd and they wanted the two angels so they could violate them, he's like, Here, take my virgin daughters instead and it was <clears throat> and people were like, How why would he like throw his daughters out to a whole bunch of wolves and stuff like that? And it's like <clears throat> And it's like, I oh. often wondered how old the daughters were. You know, did they have a say in it? Could they have said no? Yeah. Or if he knew that the God would protect me the way. So he's just like, okay, let me bait these guys for a second and give you guys room to do your stuff, you know? Or or was he just like desperation? You know what I mean? Like, don't hurt my guests. Take my daughters. Don't hurt my guests. This is a this is a huge aspect in in Nomian culture that uh, de- or nomadic culture that deals with um, the the entire thing of uh, of of hospitality that uh, that yeah you know and, and that actually plays into this and it's actually a part of uh, part of the notes that we have for this week as well uh, within the Torah portion. As a matter of fact, so um, I guess you know, considering that that's one of the topics of, of conversation that we actually have for this Torah portion, I guess one of the things that we can probably do is just uh, go ahead and jump into our our Hebrew segment of it, and then within the uh, the Hasidic segment of it, we will get into uh, that uh, oh, sure. that. Uh, that whole thing because uh, because we got a lot of notes on that as a matter of fact. Yeah. So uh, for those who are joining us for the first time, what it is that we do is we kind of go through this in um, through various means. We for, first we have a, a segment where we go and we discuss the Hebrew of the of the Torah portion and some uh, things that kind of jump out in terms of this uh, and. You know, you learn a little bit of vocabulary along the way as well. Then we get into Hasidic thought in the Torah portion and how it relates to the New Testament. And then we go and we show you the Messiah in the Torah portion. Then we wrap it up by going through a passage of the Zohar within the Torah portion as well. So basically that's the way that it is that we uh, go through this. Now I know that John's asking all of these other questions that have nothing to do with the Torah portion here that uh, I, I don't know where he's getting some of this stuff from. So, you know, John, I want you to know that we focus in on the Torah portion, not just <laughs> some uh, random things here. Uh, okay. So let's uh, let's, let me go ahead and pull this up here. And uh, my laptop is a little slow as you guys know. So it might just be just a second here. But as we get into the Hebrew here of the first line of the Torah portion, within the Hebrew here it says, Viera elav Adonai ben Eloni Mamri vihu Yoshev Petach Haohe Kihom Hayom. Okay? Now, there's two things that I bring up within uh, this over here. I'm reading from the Gutnik Homish in the English. It says, God appeared to Avraham in the plains of Mamri three days after his circumcision while he was sitting at the entrance of the tent where he had been looking for passerby to welcome in the heat of the day. Now, the things that are in parentheses there, uh, the the thing that is great about the Gutnik Homish is that you have the Masoretic Hebrew on one side. And then on the other side, you have in the English, you have the um, uh, uh, the translation from the Targums, which is actually the the Aramaic um, translation of the of the Masoretic text. And so, you know, these are these are the things that we have. You know, uh, within the Gutnik Homish, which I, you know, think that, you know, I, I think it's one of those little treasures that, you know, a lot of people are unfamiliar with. Many people are familiar with the Stone Edition. The Stone Edition is wonderful, but the, uh, but the, but the Gutnik really goes and uh, shows us something more here. But there's actually two words that I have underlined here, and one is the word Viera, and the word Viera. It uh, the word and should really be at the beginning of what it says in the Gotnik, b- 
because the Vav right there represents the word and. Yes. Okay? Meaning, and God appeared to Abraham. Okay? And there is some, some very significant things in that idea that God appeared to Abraham. Because one of the things that we ultimately end up seeing from anti-missionaries is them always talking about how it is that God cannot manifest himself in a way in which it is that people can see him. But we see that that is not the case with that of Moshe Rabbeinu and with that of Aharon, where it says that they spoke with God face to face within right. that of the book of, I believe, Leviticus, if I remember correctly. And about we the- also see – and the appearance oh. to Job in tornado, right? In whirlwind? Yep, absolutely. Yes, I, I thought so. You also have as well within the book of Joshua as well, the soldier Joshua. that it is that you have, um, uh, you know, um, you have Joshua going and bowing to and all of this stuff, you know, and calling him his Lord and all these things. So you so, so you have those aspects. And then you have the the aspect of where it is that uh, whenever you see the word Shaddai, it represents that of some of physicality, you know, and that's something that we've talked about on here before, how the word Shaddai represents physicality. And so we, we, we see this see this found all the way throughout um, the the Tadashebektav as well as Tarashebiapte, and as well and as well within that of some of the Kabbalistic works such as the Zohar as well. So, you know, so, so we have this whole thing of God appearing mm-hmm. to that of Avraham Avenu. Now, the thing that I find t- to be interesting, considering the very first word in the Parshas is the word Viera, we also have a word here in Hebrew that if we change the Nakud, could also represent the Messiah as well considering that if we changed up the Nakud with the word uh, Mamri over here, which was the place where it is that um, that uh, Abraham was, we can also get the word Memra from that as well. Mm-hmm. Now, certain uh, translations from that of the Greek to the Aramaic within that of John – we have the word, instead of what is found within the Kabor's Codex, which is Miltha, we have the word Memra there for the word word, okay? And Memra actually works the same way as Miltha with all of its various definitions, such as word, manifestation, instance, substance, incantation, all of those things. Cool. So, it's very, so it's very interesting that we have this word right here within that of uh, – in in a in of the same verse where we have the word vayira, meaning and God appeared. So I I found that to be very very interesting. Anything you guys so want to like, say on that? It's like two words that both mean appear, <clears throat> correct? Well, vayira means and God appeared. Mm-hmm. Mem uh, memra. If we were to change the nakud for for mamri mm-hmm. and make it the word uh, the Aramaic word um, memra, mm-hmm. it would mean word manifestation, instance, okay. substance, incantation. Okay. And is that so, like the logos? Wow. Yes, absolutely. Okay. That's very much like like the logos and um, or the davar as well within that mm-hmm. of uh, Hebrew. Yes. Okay. Yep. Anything else jump out at you guys in terms of that? No, nothing, nothing much. Um, I'm just trying to uh, repeat the repeat the text above your first slide here that you that you uh, gave. Repeat the the yeah, what? Yeah, like the, the repeat what the the opening of site. God appeared to Abraham. I'm just trying to read it up here. Oh, okay. Here, I'll just uh, make it big here. It says uh, God appeared to Abraham. Yeah, in that. the plains of Mamre. Got three days part. after his circumcision. Right. Okay. So, which part is it? The Hebraic, the Hebraic introduction, the Hebrew introduction. Oh, oh, you want me to read it in Hebrew again? Yeah, please. Okay. Vayera elav Adonai be Eloni Mamri vihu Yoshev Petach Ha Ochel Kihom Hayom. Okay. 
Yep. Was that helpful? Oh yeah, that's great. It's like I'm <clears throat> kind of like it's like <clears throat> like I mean I'm just trying to absorb anything I can, you know, retain <clears throat> retain this brain of mine. So. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Anything absolutely. Helpful. Now, one of the things that we have. <laughs> in terms of this uh, Torah portion yeah. and the entire story of Avraham Avenu mm -hmm. is a concept that is known as Betochen or as the, uh, as the Sephardi call it Betochon. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now Betochon is probably one of the most important Hebrew words you could ever learn. Okay. And it's the one that is on the right hand side over here. Mm -hmm. yeah. And what that, yep. And what that word means, and the thing with this is that we see very much in the olive base. We can remember this through the olive base mm -hmm. because the olive base goes and starts with olive bait gimel. Okay. Now you see that uh, the the first word, the word that we have all the way to the to the uh, uh, left hand side there is the word emunah, which is the word for faith. Then you have the uh, um, the bait on the right-hand side over there, which is the word betolchen or betochon, you know, depending upon if Ashkenaz or Sephardi. And then in the middle there, you have geula, okay? And there's actually a, a song by Yaakov Sweeky that is about this, and he actually goes through um, Aleph Beis Gimel, Emuna Betolchen Geula. You know, he goes through this this entire thing, and this entire idea is the story of Abraham, because with Avraham Avenu, he ended up going and obtaining Emuna, mm -hmm. faith in Hashem, mm -hmm. in a world that didn't believe in Hashem, and then we see that he then had to learn how to trust in Hashem. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because we notice throughout this, this Torah portion, he keeps saying, you know, I'm going to give your descendants all of these things. I'm going to give this for your descendants and that, you know, and you're going to have this land. It's not going to be in your lifetime, though. You know, and the thing with that, you know, is that you really see how it is that Avraham of Enu's, uh Emunah, how it is that his faith was in many ways the gas for his betalchen, for his trust in Hashem. And what those brought about was the geula, was the redemption for the children of Israel. You know, we, we go and we hear, remember to ourselves this, the thing from uh, that, uh, going in when he says that a prophet greater than Moshe Rabbeinu you know, would, would, would come and, you know, as believers in the Mashiach, mm -hmm. we, you know, believe that that is indeed the, uh, the Mashiach, you know, and all that stuff. And so we see how it is that the, uh, how it is that Emuna and Betolchen bring about Geula. Okay. Mm -hmm. Anything that it is that you guys want to say about that? No, I'm fine right now. Mm -hmm. You guys are good? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. All right. So if we go back to that original verse, and I'm going to have to bring it up again. Within that of the, um, of the, uh, of the Targums, it kind of goes and gives us this, this inner commentary in there, letting us know that uh, essentially – that Avraham Avenu was uh, waiting for passers-by. And let me go and bring up that slide one more time there. And this was three days after his circumcision, during the time that he was in the most pain. You know, this was a very painful time for him. And so, basically, you know, this is one of the things that we know about Avraham Avenu is that he encapsulated the attribute of what is known as chesed. Yeah. Chesed being loving kindness. Yeah. And this is where it is that our, um, that our uh, 
our, our, our faith has a foundation in. It has to have this foundation. So this gets into what Gary was asking about in terms of um, um, hospitality and, and, all, and all of these things. And this is what the sages have to say on this. And this is coming from various uh, rabbinic sources, two from the Talmud and, and one from Rabbi Eliezer. Right. We see here that it says within Bava Messiah 86b, it says the third day after Abraham's circumcision, the Holy One, blessed be he, came to inquire about a uh, Abraham's health. That Now, that's just an amazing concept there. Mm -hmm. and, we, and we'll read these other two here because they basically say the exact same thing. Rabbi Eleazar says, the Holy One, blessed be he, said to the ministering angels, come, let us descend and visit the sick. For the virtue of visiting the sick is important to me. They descended to visit our father Abraham. Mm -hmm. And then within that of the Talmud again in Tractate Sotah 14a, it says, The Holy One, blessed be he, visited the sick, for it is written, And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. So too, you should also visit the sick. Yes. You know, so, you know, so that's, you know, one of these, that's one of the concepts here that we really need to, I, I don't think that we really do a good enough job on this in, in, in the Guf HaMashiach, sadly. You know, we, we focus a lot of attention on learning and learning's good, you know, mm -hmm. you know, coming and doing Torah study, you know, which is great, you know, and going and collecting commentaries to learn a little bit more about our Lord and all these other things. But, you know, in many ways, one of the things that we have to do is we have to engage ourselves into the things such as this, you know, focusing in on the downtrodden, those who are in a rough place. And sometimes we end up locking ourselves away and we tend to see our observance as almost like a social club in many ways, you know, yeah. and, and that should be concerning. Mm -hmm. We can't be insular. We have to act out our knowledge because knowledge just for the sake of knowledge is no good. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. You know, and um and you know, and um and this is every day. Like I'm 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 surrounded every day at work, you know, with death and the passing into death and <clears throat> All I can do is just look into the people's face that I care for and just pray that you could get a glimpse of the glory that the Lord has for you so it's not such a scary thing, but that you'll want to go into it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I, absolutely. A part of my job is I have to, we have a, a care room which the residents aren't able to feed themselves. So, me, I got to sit down with them and I actually have to hand feed them, you know? It's a yeah. great job and something like that, but it's like, holy cow, now this is being the Messiah right here. This is the embodiment of Elohim caring for community mm -hmm. care. Yeah. Some of them receive Absolutely. care and some of them are angry that they're at this place, you know? I mean, they're just full of Of course. That. I can't feed myself. I was a soldier in World War II, and now you're feeding me parade food, you know what I mean? I'm like, I get it. <laughs> I get it, you know what I mean? Yeah. And see, and the thing about it, though, is that with instances such as that, mm -hmm. you know, when we come into those types of situations, our, our you know, our Yetzirah wants, want, wants to tell us, you know, well, you know what, we should just, you know, uh, you know, be angry, you know, that, that we're being treated this way and all of these things. Or the way that we should really go about it is to, first of all, kill the Yetzirah. And focus in on what the Yetzirah mm -hmm. tells us to do, which is ultimately to to bring about shalom in the situation. Mm -hmm. To first of all give them the peace that it is that they need when it is that you're having to yeah you know when you're having to feed them and they don't want it they they feel embarrassed yes. by it and to you know to go and to connect with them in a in a certain way really kind of goes to show the kind of hospitality that it is that we should um that that we need to learn as believers you know in in my job as well you know as you guys know I'm a waiter yeah. you know that's my day job I'm a waiter 
you know, and so in many ways, you know, I, I get things from every angle, you know, it is my job to, you know, basically, you know, wait on a person, uh, you know, hand and foot, you know, and all that stuff to, you know, make sure that they are happy and all that stuff. And it kind of reminds me of, you know, what it says within that of Brit Shah in the New Testament, where it says that a workman is, um, you know, that he has to work for his wage. And and one of the things that I always end up telling new wait staff that come in there, and I'm fairly new over there myself, this is only my second month, but when we've been hiring a lot of new people, and I always end up saying, you know what, you can make as much as you want to, based upon how hard it is that you wish to work. And with that, you have to bring with yourself this humility in order to realize that, first of all, somebody's going to have a problem with no matter what it is that you do. Yeah. And that your job is ultimately, first of all, to make them happy, even if they have you going and running every two seconds to get them something else. The thing about those, your wage is based upon how hard it is that you're wanting to work for that customer. Oh, yeah. Because the. Yeah, because the, the the waiter, you know, gets, you know, I had 53 hours on my check this week, okay? 53 hours. My check was $46, okay? After taxes taken out and all of that stuff, you know? And so the thing about those with that, you know, a majority of your money is not coming from the establishment itself. It's not coming from your paycheck. It's actually come, coming from how hard it is that you're real willing to work. And how much you're willing to humble yourself to go into, you know, to yes, sir, yes, sir. Oh, yes, you know, I I, I agree. I'm going to send that right back, mm -hmm. you know. And even though in the back of your mind you want to sit there and go, this person's out of their freaking mind. You have to really, at times, you know, really go and lower yourself a great deal. Yeah. Yeah. So. Anything else on, on that subject before we get to the bread to shop uh, passages? Nope. Thanks. Okay. Well, you know, this is, this is an attribute that, you know, we should see you know, uh, more fully as being believers in Yeshua uh -huh. be, mm -hmm. because of the fact that we see that our, that our master reiterates this, uh -huh. this thing several times, as a matter of fact. And uh, the first slide we're going to go to here, we got two verses here, uh, both from the Gospel of Matthew. Now, some people are probably wondering why it is that, you know, every single verse that I have on here is actually uh, from a different translation of the Bible. And there's a method to my madness on this, okay? I know that there's many people who are very young in their walk who think that they find the perfect translation and there's no such thing as a perfect translation yeah. it doesn't exist because it cannot encapsulate all the the semitic idiom and all that stuff so I, I i just try and use as many translations as possible to show any translation you have is fine mm -hmm. so so that's the method of madness here but <laughs> the first verse we have here is matthew 10 verse 40 it says, uh, one who receives you is receiving me. The one who receives me is receiving the one who sent me. And that's Matthew 10, 40 from the Daily Hebrew Gospels. Now, from Matthew 25, 35, it says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you made me your guest. And that's Matthew 25, 35 from the complete Jewish Bible. Mm -hmm. Now we got another verse as well here that is uh, from the Gospel of Luke. Now this verse here from Luke says, but you are not thus, rather whomever is great among you must be as the least, and whomever is the head is as a servant, and that's from 2226 mm -hmm. from the Aramaic English New Testament. Oh, yes. Uh -huh. now, mm -hmm. And we see Yeshua going to reiterate this again in the book of Matthew one, one more time. time. We see in Matthew 23, 11, 12, uh, reading from the Jewish annotated New Testament here, he says, the greatest among you will be your servant. All who exalt themselves 
the humble. And all who humble themselves will be exalted. Okay? So these are premises that should be something that encapsulate us as believers in Yeshua much more than, say, Shabbos, much more than, say, Kashrot, much more than, say, anything else. This needs to be the pinnacle foundation of our entire belief, yes. which is in that of servitude mm -hmm. and in humility. But sadly, we don't see this very often right. on social media. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I see is that I tell people all the time is that the, the, what we end up seeing on social media is oftentimes drastically, drastically different than what it is that we see within that of the congregations. Have you guys found that to be the case? And you guys? Is it just uh, seems like a lot of people want to be that first. They want to be the head. They want to be the leader. And, you know, I think of the verse, you know, where do strife and conflict come from? And yes. if we all took that role as a servant, we would be thinking of others rather than ourselves. And you would think how much, you know, more pleasant and a better place it would be if we were all concerned about each other. We'd be doing for each other. The hospitality would be there, everything. Right. Or even like the attitude Absolutely. towards the hospitality. You know, you could do the hospitality mm -hmm. and hate the darn job, which is your <laughs> Yesahari coming, working alongside you and making your whole entire work environment and the people around you that's without the Roha Kadesh because, you know, your mind is like, I'm better than this, man. I don't know. I hate having to work this stinking job and stuff like that, you know? Or you can be like, Father, thank you for this job. Baruch Hashem, you gave me a nice paycheck. You enabled me to serve these people, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Help me to be your, help me to be Mashiach to these people. Help me to be you to these people here. You know what I mean? So it's also the attitude towards the hospitality. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, and that reminds me of something. I remember this was probably about 10 years ago. There was a little Japanese place that opened up, 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 uh, up the road over here. Yep. And it was, it was probably like three months there. I didn't have a job. Yep. And what happened was I ended up going and, uh, getting a job as, as a waiter over there at this little Japanese restaurant. Well. Now the, the thing about it though, is the first week I was there because I've never had had bosses before they they they're a, a lot different in the way that they do things yeah i started hating my job a great deal and 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 I, and, and then i remember one day I, I i i got done and it was i had worked double shifts for like every day for like a week yeah and because i was one of only two waiters there yeah and i was wanting to quit so bad yeah but, you know, I had bills to pay and all that stuff. But I so I got in my car and and I was doing a horrible job, by the way, just absolutely horrible. And I remember getting in my car and I was and I was sitting there praying and I said, thank you, Hashem, for giving me this job. Thank you. Even though I hate this job. Thank you for giving it to me because I'm able to provide for myself. I'm able to pay my bills. I'm able to do everything that it is that I need to do to be able to maintain myself. And then ultimately what ended up happening is I ended up becoming the best waiter that they have ever had over there. As a matter of fact, I went over there just a couple of days ago and went and saw uh, Shoye and ordered myself a, a, a hibachi steak over there. And uh, he, every time I go over there, he asked me, would you want to come back over here? We need more, more waiters like you were over here. <laughs> And and it, and it was just one of those things that it, that it's like how God goes and takes things and changes them when it is that we are truly grateful for the things that it is that we may not necessarily like, but however, at the same time, you know, he makes it pleasant, you know, and then, you know, uh, blesses us greatly whenever it is that we, you know, show that we are grateful. And that's part, part of a talking. Mm -hmm. Anything else you guys would like to say on, on those? No, this has been great, you know. <clears throat>
12 parts. I know we got a little bit more to cover, but. Yep. So you guys are ready to get into uh, the Messiah and the Torah segment? That's true. Absolutely. All righty. Let me go and uh, pull this sucker back up here mm -hmm. and uh, wait for it to go into the little block. There it is. And pull up the next slide here. All right. Now, the, this one I'm reading from the Stone Edition Tanakh, and this is from uh, Bereshit, so Bereshit, uh, Genesis chapter 22, verses 10 through 12. And here's what it says here. It says, Avraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. And it looks like it's not going full screen there. Let me hit that again. Yeah, we're um, close. <laughs> I mean, we could read. We could read the covered so far. We kind of know what's going on. Of course, and the angel of Hashem called to him from heaven, and said, "Abraham, Abraham!" And he said, "Here I am." And he said, "Do not stretch out your hand against the lad, or do anything to him, for now I know you are a God-fearing man, since you have withheld your son, your only one, from me." Now. Here's something that many people are going to be very shocked to hear mm -hmm. about Yitzhak when this whole thing happened. One of the things you guys might be very accustomed to is that whenever this story is told, you guys kind of probably have been told this and envisioning, you know, this, this little kid that could not defend himself in any way being led to the Akida. Mm. And uh, to go and be slaughtered, you know, that's kind of the way that you guys are familiarized with, yeah. with, the, with the teacher, right? Right, yes. Do you know how old Yitzhak was when this happened, according to most scholars? I do not know. What 30, about 37? Yep, thir 36 really? or 37 is what most really? of them say, yep. Oh, okay. Now, how old, yeah, now Avraham was over 100 years old. Oh, when this happened, makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Now, I want you to think about this. There, he had whenever had 70 or 64. Say what? Like that. He had his son, he had Isaac at 64, 63, 64. No, I think he had him at a hundred, wasn't oh, he? He had him at a hundred, but i thought he was a hundred well when um abraham when he was taking abraham abraham i'm mean, taking isaac to be sacrificed like he was a hundred when he was taking abraham to be sacrificed which would have made um isaac 30 or something like that right so that's where i got it wrong that's okay you know what let's uh considering that we have the people watching online right now mm -hmm. let's see if uh if if we can get some input from them on this as well if it is that they have, uh, if they uh, break the uh, tie tie on this of uh, how old Abraham was when uh, when this all happened, mm. maybe uh, maybe maybe they can give us a little bit of insight in, in into this. But either either way, we see that Abraham was an old man. I found yeah. the verse that says how old he was. Okay. It's um, Bereshit 17, mm -hmm. uh, verse 17. It's like, and Avraham threw himself upon his face and laughed, and he thought, shall a child be born to a 100-year-old man, mm. and shall Sarah, a 99-year-old woman, give birth? So There's the hook. There's the hook. Okay. Avraham would have mm. been like 136 or 37. When the yeah. sacrifice... And the wow. covenant was established pretty much. Okay. All right. Yep. And and uh, 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 Jose put in a verse over here, chapter 21, 5. Avraham was 100 years old when his son Yitzhak was born to him. Mm -hmm. So great eye there, Jose. Great, great job there, buddy. We're going to give you a good pat on the back there, big guy. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, great, great job there, guys. So, so think about this. 36, 37-year-old young man, okay, and a, you know, 136, 137-year-old man, you know, and the guy that's 136, 137 saying, 
okay, yeah, yeah, I'm just gonna go and uh, hold you down yeah. and strap you to 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 the, to this whole thing and and have you sacri- sacrifice. One of the things that you see here mm-hmm. is that first of all, this gets into the idea of Batalkin that we were discussing right. earlier. Mm-hmm. Because with that idea of Batalkin, <clears throat> the thing that we have to keep thinking of is that first of all, he said that his seed would be as numerous as the stars. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hashem told Avraham Avenu this. He gave him the promise, made the covenant with him that this is ultimately what's going to happen. Yeah. And so then he's gone and told to put down, as it actually says, even though he had his other son, he actually considered Yitzhak his only son, which is rather interesting, his only son. Goes and puts him on the Akidah, is getting ready to go and sacrifice him. But then the Batalkin, the trust in Hashem, had to kick in not only for Avraham Avenu, but also for that of Yitzhak as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, so that just goes to show you just how incredible this whole thing is. And here's another little a little side note. I was going to do a, a short little teaching on this, but I don't have the slides for it, and I decided not to, but I will bring it up here. Okay. Um, the thing that's interesting is that another part of the story that we end up seeing, because considering we're on the whole thing of age right over here, the mm-hmm. thing that's interesting is you, you found it interesting that, uh, that you have Avimelech goes and uh, takes captive uh, Sarah right. for as part of his harem. She was 90 years old. Isn't that interesting? Now that's what I never thought about. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Now, with that whole thing, here's what the sages say. Mm -hmm. That when God had made the promise to go and to... um, to cause Sarah to be able to have a child, that basically her hair turned from gray to black, that um, basically her her wrinkles went away, and she looked to be about in her 20s when when this promise had, had ended up happening. Wow. So get and her this, body ready. Yeah. Exactly, because the aging process, where she, her body could take the bearing of children and stuff. Wow, okay. And so this makes this makes sense now. Why it is that she was taken as this amazingly beautiful woman that Abimelech wanted to be the head of his harem because she was an amazing, beautiful woman. Or absolutely. Absolutely. And some of the sages even say the very same thing happened to Avraham Avenu as well. So that, you know, he could be able to do his job, yeah. as a matter of fact, oh. in uh, causing this to be. But do you guys have any have, have any idea why it is that we brought up uh, Bereshis 22 verses 10 through 12 in relation – to finding the Messiah within that of the tower. Mm. I want to see if you guys have some guesses here. I mean, it's a perfect shadow because don't they say that the um, Akida occurred on Mount Moriah? Mm-hmm. So there's, it's like a, a lot of times you see things happening in the Torah and the writings and the prophets and they kind of repeat themselves as a pattern. Right. Absolutely. And Yeshua was in his 30s when he was impaled for our atonement. Mm-hmm. This is very true. And he also did it willingly. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very much so. But what about what about this aspect? You know, uh, Matthew and I, I don't know if you guys got to see the, the, uh, the episode that Matthew and I did for the radio show. A couple of weeks or a couple of days ago, but um, we ended up talking about uh, the issues with chiritism. Um, yes, and 
Yeah, and one of the things that we discussed was that you know there were certain concepts that Kairites and the Sadducees did not believe in. One would be the concept of Mashiach. Mm-hmm. Another one was the Alom Haba, yeah. the king, the world to come, or the Machut Hashemayim, right. the kingdom of heaven. Yes. Uh, they believe in the concept of Mashiach, and they did not believe in angels, Malachim. They also did not believe in Tekiah, resurrection of the dead. Mm-hmm. And so here's something that we find to be very interesting in terms of this concept in relation to Yitzhak, because the whole story of Yitzhak on the Akidah is much more of a shadow than people realize that it is. And uh, uh, let me go to the very next slide here. If I can, uh oh, something's popping up here. Something's t- trying to tell me something here. Uh, oh, it's asking me to create a poll. I want to create a poll. Uh, <laughs> but uh, let's see here. This very next slide that we have here is from Perke de Rebe Eliezer. 31, it says, when the sword touched Isaac's throat, his soul flew clean out of him, and he let his voice be heard from between the cherubim. Lay not thy hand upon the lad. The lad's soul was returned to his body. Mm-hmm. When his father unbound him and Isaac arose, knowing that in this way the dead would come back to life in the future. Whereupon he began to recite, Blessed are you, Lord, who resurrects the dead. Wow. Is that not, is, is that not pretty amazing there? That is pretty darn amazing. Yeah. That is. Now, here's something that's very interesting. That in Tractate Avodot Zarah, in the Talmud, chapter 18, uh, page A, it goes into many of the things that basically would cause a person to not be able to enter into the Elohim Haba. Mm-hmm. And here's what they say here. All Israelites have a share in the world to come. As mm-hmm. it says, your people also shall be all righteous. They shall inherit the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands that I may be glorified, as it says in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 21. And these are the ones who have no portion in the world to come. The first is he who says that resurrection of the dead is not a teaching which does not derive from the Torah. The second, the Torah does not come from heaven. And third, on... uh, an Epicurean Rabbi Akiva says, also he who reads heretical books and he who whispers over a wound and says, I will put none of the disease upon you, which I have put upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you, as it says in Exodus chapter 15, verse 26. Abba Shaul says, also he who pronounces the divine name as it is spelled out. Now, the thing about it, though, is that these are some of the core beliefs, core foundations of Judaism. And it says that, first of all, the very first thing, it says, he who says that the resurrection of the dead is not a teaching which does not derive from the Torah will have no share in the world to come. None whatsoever. Now, this is a concept, however, that we do not find Within that of Torah Shebektav, we do not find this concept in the written Torah. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. Anything you guys would like to say on that? <clears throat> Yitzhak and all these things. Well, is that, the, is that the two or three core things that, you know, <clears throat> were reverence to Yeshua? <clears throat> Later on, the age, the willing sacrifice, and the place of sacrifice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. That. And, and the, 
And the concept of the resurrection of the dead. Yeah, and the concept of resurrection, because he spoke of resurrection and spoke of himself being resurrected along with other people resurrected. And, of course, he was an, an active resurrection. Mm-hmm. And he said, Absolutely. I am the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And, and in that phrasing, it's, it's, it's really interesting. That really shows his divinity because yeah. in the Aramaic, he actually uses the term inana, mm-hmm. which is the Hebrew equivalent would be aye, as in aye asher aye, yes, which is you know uh, <laughs> one of the divine names for that of Hashem. Yes. Yep. So correct a- me in my thoughts here. So the the Karaites and the Sadducees they believe that the concepts of Messiah, the world to come angels and resurrection of the dead were not in the Torah. And that's why they didn't believe it. Is that correct? Exactly. Because with the, with the Sadducees, uh, they also rejected. And so do most, most Kairites, most Kairites also reject the Ketuvim and the Nevi'im, the writings of the prophets. And, and the reason why they do is because of the fact that who put those books together, mm-hmm. who are the ones that, made these a part of the Bible. Well, it was the sages. Mm-hmm. And so they, they were against rabbinic authority. So let's take, you know, for, we find the we find the word for angels many times within that of the of of the Torah. How do they get around this? Right. Mm-hmm. It's because the, the word is malachim. And the word malachim can not only mean angels but messenger as well. Mm-hmm. Like if I was going to go and deliver to you a letter and I was walking up to go and place it into your hand, I would be called a malachim. Mm-hmm. You know, or if a person was, was saying, hey, go and tell somebody this thing, you know, make sure that they get this message. The person who goes and relays the message would also be referred mm-hmm. to as a malachim. So in a story uh, or in an account such as the Akidah, they would not see this as a picture of anything they would basically say well the reason that Hashem caused um, caused Abraham not to sacrifice Yitzhak was just so the um, prophecy would come true that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky the sands on the seashore so they wouldn't see any other meaning in that except the basic text that was written Exactly. It, 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 and here's here's another way of looking at it. Um, you take a movie that was put together by Harold Ramis. You know, Harold Ramis did Ghostbusters yeah. and all that stuff. You know, uh, the movies that Harold Ramis did, there would be no layers to it, no, you know, deeper context message underneath and all that stuff. You know, it's just it, it's a comedy. You know, it was just just there to be taken as is mm-hmm. now. The thing about it, though, is that an Orthodox Jew, however, and that's the way the Kairites end up seeing the Bible, okay, and the Sadducees. Mm-hmm. Now, the, now, an Orthodox Jew will see the Bible as more of like a David Lynch movie. You guys are familiar with David Lynch, right? No, I'm not. I never even saw Ghostbusters. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm like woefully neglected okay, okay. by movies. For those, for those who don't know, David Lynch – None of his movies made sense. Okay. What, did, what movie they, did he do? Oh, he did Blue Velvet. Uh, he did the TV show Twin Peaks. Oh. Uh, Eraserhead. Eraserhead. Um, yep. I ain't heard that. I ain't yep. heard that phrase in years. Yeah. I remember. And, and so the thing, the thing, the thing with George Lynch's movies is there would always be levels of context. That basically the thing that was on the surface, you know, you think it's may it makes sense, but there's always these little hints of other things that are so deep underneath. Like for instance, like last year, Twin Peaks ended up ending. They brought it back for a third season, 25 years later, and they ended the show. And nobody still knows really what to make of that entire season. That's how confusing it is. Right. And so they, there's people that do YouTube videos and all this stuff saying, well, this represents this, and this represents that. This is the 
the way that it is that a that a Jewish individual will see the Torah. Right. Now, the Kairite, mm-hmm. on the other hand, will see it like a Harold Ramis film. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Oh, they came. They killed the ghost bust. They they killed the ghosts. Okay. There we go. Oh, you know, and so you take, for instance, <laughs> even when it comes to the concept of Jacob's ladder, for instance, mm-hmm. which is something that is coming up very soon, uh-huh. they say that was just a dream. Doesn't really mean anything. Mm-hmm. So anything else on the that concept before we go to our Zohar portion? No, no. All right. Well, let's see here. Let me go and add I this remember, back up. I just remember back in the 80s, me, me and a friend were drunk, and he was like, I will give you 50 bucks and you get free on what the heck this movie means. So I'm like, I'll do it. I'm sitting there going, I can't understand an effing thing about this flick. What well, was it, a racer? Yeah, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm still like, what the heck did I So do? you know what I mean. Oh, yeah, I'm like, what the heck did I just watch? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Mind trip, if anything, it's like, and all of his movies are like that, Uh, you know. And and the funny thing is that I was was invested in Twin Peaks when they brought it back. Christopher Schumacher, who warned about the danger of diving in the tall mud, stuff like that, your mind will explode. You'll go insane and stuff. Yeah, you know, and that's and that's one of the things. You know, we 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 focus in a lot on rabbinic um, on rabbinic things within this study. But the thing about it, though, is that first of all, a person should not dive into rabbinics until they are at least, at least five years into their walk. Uh-huh. No, and, and the thing about though is that uh, there's, I don't think I have it on my desk here. No, it's in the other room. Uh, one of the things that I think is great, a great Bible for individuals who are just starting out in their walk, mm-hmm. is the. Um, Complete Jewish study Bible because there there will be some Talmud footnotes in there, mm-hmm. but it's not so much that it weighs you down. Yeah. Now, Kathleen, I know that you ordered my book, uh, the Rabbinic Gospel of Mark, mm-hmm. and I am and- thoroughly enjoying it. Oh well, good. But see, the thing about it though is that I think you will agree that that should not be read by somebody who is just starting out in their walk. Oh no, they would be <laughs> absolutely lost. I mean, I. I've been on my journey for many a year, and through the years, I've accumulated the, a set of Talmud and things like that. But you've got to do it slowly. Exactly. Slow and steady wins the race. Mm-hmm. That's true. And you always learn how much you don't know as you study more, which makes it even more exciting. Exactly. Exactly. So what I always end up telling people who are young in their walk is I say, stay away from Talmud and have a healthy respect for it. Because there will be a time when it is that, you know, you will be ready to study it. Right. And you know. Yeah, exactly. And the same is true, especially with the Zohar, which is what we're going to be getting into here. Cool. And this right here is from Zohar Vayera. And it says in here, uh, as soon as Avraham appeared, the flowers appeared on the earth. This means that the powers of the earth were amended and revealed. The time of the singing of the birds, also pruning, has come, referring to the time when the Holy One, blessed be he, told him to circumcise himself. The term pruning alludes to the removal of of the foreskin. Thus the time was ripe for the covenant to appear to Abraham, meaning when he was circumcised. Only uh, then was the verse, the flowers appeared, fulfilled uh, through him, and the the word of the Holy One, blessed be he, was revealed openly to him as it is written, and Hashem appeared to him after he was circumcised. Now, there's, there's things that we have to understand in terms of this citation from the Zohar here to understand the context. First of all, we have to understand uh, this idea of sight mm-hmm. in terms of this Parshas yes. and what sight represents. There's a, an old Talmudic story about where it is that Avraham Avenu, um, apparently he was able to talk to the donkey. Mm-hmm. And the, one of the things was that says that the donkey that Avraham Avenu 
had taken to the uh, to the uh, Akida. Mm-hmm. It's the same donkey that Mashiach is going to ride, and we saw oh. that Yeshua went and rode on the, on the donkey. But he actually had a conversation with his donkey, according to the sages. They said that they uh, he asked the donkey what it is that he saw when he pointed up to the mountain. The donkey said, "I see nothing." He asked he asked Yitzhak. He goes and says, "What is it that you see?" He says, "I see nothing." And he goes, neither one of you see anything. So you go, you go stand with the donkey. And so what we, one of the things that we see here is that Abraham's eyes were opened after his circumcision. Mm-hmm. His eyes were opened to the things of Hashem that many people, their eyes are closed to. The interpretation, the understanding, all, all of these things and how that comes through that of not the just the physical circumcision, but the spiritual circumcision, the, the thing that we find all throughout Brit Hadashah of the circumcision of the heart. For when this a person is circumcised, one of the things that happens is you know the the, the skin is folded over, and what happens is the outside the inside becomes the outside and the outside becomes the inside. Mm-hmm essentially yeah and so with that it's metaphorical in many ways yes of when it is that we are circumcised that when our heart is circumcised it's not that we are walking around putting on a persona it's not that we are putting on a face for the camera it's not that we are wanting to be seen in this way the way that it is that we are seen is the way that it is that we really are Mm-hmm. You know, one one of the things that I always find funny is that when people who listen to the radio show meet me for the first time, they always end up going and saying, uh, you know, uh, Christopher, you're just like you are on the radio. And it's like, and it's like, well, that's just the way I am. You know, I play rock music during the radio show and all that stuff. You know, I'm a rock and roller. You know, that's that's the kind of guy that I that, that I am, you know, and, and the thing about it, though, is that, is that honesty of realizing one of the things that we all have to realize is that, first of all, that uh, we do have stuff, but we don't hide our stuff. We don't, we don't hide the things that, that we struggle with. and Instead, we try and correct them. We try and kill our very own Yetzirah. And that's one of the things that we should all do. And that's what it truly means to be circumcised because then – with the circumcision comes the humility. The haughtiness goes and dissipates and is gone. And we are then able to be revealed to, through ourself and to others where it is that it is that we struggle and how it is that we have to kill that part of our own Yetzirah. And that's ultimately what circumcision really is. I think uh, Gary might have lost connection there. Anything you have to say on that one there, uh, Kathleen? No, I'm good. Thank you. Nope. All right. Well, um, uh, that's all that I that I that I had. And so, does uh, let me see if anybody had any questions here in the chat on the tour portion. Anybody who's watching live, if you have any questions, go ahead and put them into the uh, chat. There, be more than happy to uh, address them. I saw that uh, there was some arguing going on in there, and I was just kind of not paying attention to that in there. <laughs> but uh, let's see. Let's see here. Well, Hannah says, some people I have known, the closer they become to God, the younger they seem to appear. You know, and I think in many ways, you know, that's something that uh, I think she's probably relating that into when we were talking about the whole age thing. Mm-hmm. I think that that in many ways, you know, you one of the things that you see is very old rabbis, you know, still being able to uh, go and travel. They still have their mind and all that stuff, and they live to be a v- very old, you know, well into their hundreds. And I think that a lot of that deals with the lifestyle, you know, I mean uh, – it's funny, whenever I started my new job, um, 
people thought that I was in my early 20s and I'm like, I'm actually approaching 40. <laughs> you know, so it's one of those things, you know, so that's could be it. Uh, I don't think we have any other questions. So I guess uh, we're just going to wish everybody Shalom Brocha, I guess. Mm-hmm. And have All a right. great Shabbos. Absolutely. Shabbat Shalom to everybody. And um, as Kathleen said, have a wonderful Shabbos. Shalom Brocha. Thank you. So you want to learn Hebrew or Aramaic or maybe both? Make sure to check out HebrewAndAramaic.com. All three of the instructors on the website have accredited Moray licenses to teach the languages that they teach on the website. You can take the lessons on your very own time and they even have a Roku channel so you can learn from the comfort of your very own couch. With over 200 videos going step by step through the languages and all the various scripts and over 100 PDFs of exercises and quizzes, this is the most thorough set of lessons that you'll find anywhere on the languages of the Tanakh and the Brit Hadashah. So visit HebrewAndAramaic.com today and sign up for only $15 a month.